0: And that's the cool thing about wine. It gives you this tangible thing. You bottle it uh, and it, it can, if you if you if you're that involved, um, encapsulate feelings, emotions, thoughts,
1: intent. Welcome to the Fermenting Place podcast, one of the few podcasts that concerns itself with the co-ferment of people and place. Here, we take deep dives via casual conversation into the infinitely fascinating world of fermentative beverages, such as wine and other drinks. I'm your host, Daniel Honan. My guest for episode 31 of the Fermenting Place podcast is New Zealand winemaker Francis Hutt. Francis is a funny and curious dude, hardworking, family-orientated, community-focused, and a really good listener. Which is probably a bad thing in this circumstance, given that he's the one who's meant to do all the talking here. This was a relaxed chat with a relaxed guy whose determination to contribute positively to the planet extends far beyond his family and into the very ground we all walk and grow our food and wine upon. In episode 31 of the Fermenting Place podcast, Francis and I discuss random and righteous twists in the universe's tale, going down the wine rabbit hole in Okanagan, generosity, reciprocity, and old Merlot, roots and community, wine as a viable long-term career, and much more, of course. Don't forget, if you dig what you hear, consider exchanging a little value for value. You can show your support for the show and help to ensure its sustainability by becoming a subscriber via Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash honandaniel. Otherwise, you can make a one-off donation via PayPal by clicking the icon link on the Fermenting Place website over at fermentingplace.com. Or if you want to join me and others in the future, download a podcasting 2.0 app such as the Sphinx Chat or Breeze Wallet apps, stack it with some sats and stream a few my way. You can also join the Fermenting Place podcast tribe on the Sphinx Chat app where you can message and chat with other listeners of the podcast, stream stats, and exchange a little value for value with me in real time. Log on to fermentingplace.com for more info on ways you can show your support for the show and enable the sustainable production of quality, ground up, listener-led content creation. At the very least, do me a solid and click that subscribe follow button and like, share, or leave a comment just so that you're the first to know when a new episode drops and so that more and more people can grow their know about the co-ferment of people and place. Right, so with intros and a little bit of light shilling now firmly behind us, please listen, like, share, subscribe and enjoy. Episode 31 of the Fermenting Place podcast featuring New Zealand winemaker Francis Hutt. I'm speaking with Francis Hutt in Gisborne or uh, Poverty Bay in New Zealand, right? That's what it's called?
0: Yeah, Yeah. Tairafti.
1: Yeah, Tairafti.
0: Tairafti, more commonly known as. That's the short version.
1: Tairafti, that's the Maori name. Yep. Nice. And you're uh, you're a recent um, arrivee to Gisborne, Mm -hmm. having spent the last... um, I guess a couple of years in, in, in a, in a different country. You know, it's funny. So at the end of 2019, I went to Okanagan, uh, wine region in Canada. And, um, you know, I had three days in the region. I went from Kelowna all the way down to Osoyoos and back again. And on the final day I was in Osoyoos. Um, and these trips tend to, you know, take it out of you you know they're intense you're going from one interview to the next interview to the next and you're driving and you're driving on the wrong side of the road and you know you're marveling at the lake skaha lake as you drive and it's just incredible the mountains and the glacial rocks and all that sort of stuff anyway the final morning i'm trying to find lariana wines which are right down the arsender soyuz right on the border yeah um and I almost gave up trying to find them because I was like, I don't know. I can't find them. My like Google's taking me, you know, to like almost the, the base or whatever it is that's, that's at the border there. Down in Washington. Yeah. But I'm glad I did because I, I, I popped in there. And, uh, and then I was trying to decide, well, I had two other stops to make. One was Phantom Creek and the other was the OK Crush Pad. And I'd read a little bit about the OK Crush Pad on Jamie Good's uh, Wine and yeah, from a few years ago. And I thought, oh, I might skip Phantom Creek and just go straight to OK Crush. And as I was driving up through, I guess it's the Black Sage Bench. And and I see Phantom Creek and I check the time and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to make OK Crush on that time anyway. I might as well just dive into Phantom Creek, whatever. So I drive up the drive and park and everything like that. And I'm being taken around, showing the whole thing. It's this brand new, beautiful building. Um, you know, no expense spared type of thing. There's sculptures out the front and it's just coin everywhere. Anyway, I'm doing the tasting down in like the, this, this tasting. Right, it feels like you're sort of right in the heart of the building in this, in yeah. this beautiful boardroom with this massive glass blown sculpture hanging from the, from the ceiling. It's yeah. But yeah. It's and room. I'm chatting away and I'm tasting the wines and I'm making my notes and, I'm like, so who's the winemaker? I know that um Olivier Ombrecht consults, but you know, who's who's the winemaker? And they're like, oh, uh, this guy Francis, he's from New Zealand. I was like, Francis from New Zealand, like, uh, is that Francis Hutt? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go and find you, and we, 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 uh, yeah, it was. It was very one random. On,
0: um, getting the presses going. I think I was pressing some Chardonnay or something. I can't
1: remember. Yeah. You were hard at it. You were definitely doing something, something And you know, I was interrupting you, but um, uh, that was just a, a really nice um, twist in the universe's tale uh, to kind of just be in this random location on the planet. And, you know, we, we met each other at Carrick, I think back in 2015 Yeah, and again at the, um, the Marlboro wine. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, it was just a, it was a real pleasure to see you in, uh, in such a spectacular location. So, you know, before we get to like your time up in New Zealand, let's, let's start kind of in the middle, you know, what were you doing in the Okanagan? How'd you get there? Yeah. And so that was a cool thing. Um, seeing you walk in because
0: I could talk to someone really quickly and openly. About exactly why I was there, you know. You know my backstory, bit better. Um, other people, I guess, when you when you talk to them, it's it's easier to just give them a a reason uh, that's easy for them to accept, you know. Mm-hmm. And so you you meet people on the way, and and, and you. Find out, you know, a little bit of their personality, and so you just give them a reason that they can easily digest because they're not really asking you. No, <laughs> they don't really want to know. They're just being polite. Right? being polite, so... yeah, yeah. <laughs> People are like, oh, what are you guys doing in uh, Canada? And I'm like, oh, you know, hunting bears or <laughs> <laughs> looking for this, looking for that. Uh... So there, there was there was a little bit of uh, family connection. Um, in in New Zealand and and Maori culture, oral history is really important. And, you know, there wasn't really any written language before um, European English settlers came came along. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so um, um, Anna was born in Canada. Now, children have Canadian passports. So we wanted them to be able to speak about uh, where they're from, where their mum was born.
1: Yeah, you know, so there's 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 quite a bit of that. And Anna's your wife, of course. Yeah, and it's yeah. lovely, lovely wife. And
0: um but then also it's like, you know, been doing pen noir for quite a long time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: N Z. It just come off, you know, nine odd vintages in a row at Carrot, um, off the back of Burgundy and off the back of Oregon and then off the back of Aaron seven or eight years in Martinborough at Martinborough Vineyard. Um, and in the way I am, I kind of dive deep into that. So it's, you know, when I get involved, I really, really get involved. And so it was almost like all, at the same time, training wheels are off. Let's go play with some uh, different grape varieties, mm-hmm. And, but in a biodynamic and organic setting, because the uh, organic, and biodynamics was at the heart of the project at Fanning Creek State. Um, and it's evident with Olivier Ombrecht. That was that was cool. We ticked all those boxes. And, uh, you know, in, in New Zealand, people talk about Syrah and this absolutely amazing Syrah out of Australia. You know, I, I put probably some of the best in the world, to be honest, um, and other bits and pieces. But people weren't really talking about Cabernet Franc. Yeah, mm-hmm. he had a lot of and so when I saw you walk in through the door, I was like, "Dude, I from you know." <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and I could get jumped straight into that with you, uh, you knowing all the back history of you know where I come from. It, it was fantastic. So and that's another real honest reason why uh, the Okanagan was alluring. Chance yeah. to play like, parties other than Pinot Noir. Do it in an organic and and biodynamic setting, Um, and
1: also to really kind of look at Cabernet Franc and you know what what can it do? Well, Cab Franc was, I think, my first taste of that region. Uh, My sister used to live up at Sun Peaks, which is a ski resort. uh, I think a little bit further north of Kelowna in BC. And anyways, she uh, she came home after you know being over there for a few years and, and kindly brought me a bottle of wine. It was the summer hill, uh, which is the pyramid winery. Um, yeah. Pyramid guys. Yeah. yeah. In, in Kelowna there. And, uh, you know, I cracked the bottle open with an open mind. I, I wasn't expecting a hell of a lot cause I'd never heard of, and the label to be fair was a little old school, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. And, um, this wine blew my socks off. Like it was incredible. And I was like, what is this? And of course it's Cab Franc and I adore Cab Franc. Um, it was one of the wines varietals that got me into wine in the first place when I lived in London. Um, and I had that same rush actually, because we used to drink this bottle of, of Cab Franc from the Loire called Le, Co- Le clomabile mm-hmm. And we used to, we used to just smash that because it was cheap and, and it was just tasty and it reminded mm. me of that and uh and I was drinking this 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 cabernet with with my well my girlfriend at the time now my wife but anyway uh and I was like you know what I'm going to go to I'm going to go to Okanagan I'm going to do a story on, on what's going on over there because if this if it, if it's as good as this from this dinky little label um you know it needs to be reported on so so yeah cab franc man it's uh it's extraordinary
0: yeah and, and you know and so being inspired by some of the lesser known regions but then also you know you're kind of hitching your bets you're like well what direction these guys are going to go in mm. you know are they going to take on try to take on other regions um, and and after a while you come to realize that you know every region is unique and then you're really trying to understand well are these people going to stand up and um, speak about their own place. Because mm-hmm. that's, where, that's where the real interesting stuff comes out, right? It's where a Cabernet Franc from the Okanagan mm-hmm. might be this uh, style of Cabernet Franc that you've never seen before. And you can hone down on that on that style, you can hone down on the subregions. you can hone in on these bits and pieces, and you discover something new. Mm-hmm.
2: And
0: it can take, take 10, 15 years, you know, by pulling all these things together, getting all the vineyards in mind. And so... I was curious about that. I'm really, really curious too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, had seen these cooler, crunchy sort of styles of Cabernet Franc or, or unique to the regions. You know, you're talking about Anjou or, or the Loire Valley. Right. I got the up there. And um, so, yeah, so we head up to Canada, we have a look. And the thing that struck me the most immediately was um, the Canadian patriotism. You know, North mm-hmm. Americans are. Patriotic, right? And everyone seems to think that um, the guys in the USA are probably the most patriotic, but the Canadians are super patriotic. They give right? them a run for their money, huh? Oh, they, they they want the opportunity to give anybody a run for the money, you know? Like, they want to show you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super proud, super proud. Flags everywhere, you know, more flags and Canadian flags in Canada than the probably USA flags in the US. But... <laughs> and so, um, to, to go up there and and find out are people wanting to do their own thing and show what Canadian Okanagan Canada Front could look like and and how let's let go down that rabbit hole, yeah, guns blazing, yes, go for it, you know, and and massive enthusiasm to go in that direction. Uh, and it was really cool to to kind of see that at grassroots level across the industry. Um, I got involved with the. Um, Was appointed a director of the Great Growers Council. And that's the one that's uh, kind of governed by the Acts of Parliament. So you've kind of got some nice legislation and charter you've got to follow. And one of the major initiatives that they had was knowledge transfer. And uh, they were also getting on the sustainability um, program initiation. Mm -hmm. And so sitting on a few committees there and, and listening in, then harking that back to kind of where New Zealand. Had, had come from uh-huh. on that seeing all the same challenges that they're going to have to get through subscription, membership, engagement. You know, is the program actually doing something beneficial? Okay, how, how's that program going to be um, taken up, managed, monitored? What are we going to do with the information? Right. So you could see all this, you know, similarities to, to other regions around the world who have been going through this stuff, but they were doing it for the first time. And they were planting vineyards for the first time in areas that never had grapes before. Mm. They were using rootstock that they'd never used before for the first time. And they were using barrels that they'd never used for the very first time or pressing techniques and things that might be much more commonplace in other areas. So what was super cool for me about that is uh, if you kind of go back again to, to New Zealand history and, and you look at um, this kind of colonisation stuff, New Zealand was really lucky because they kind of went down there and they surveyed it and said, oh, yeah, let's, um, well, we can, we can chop down some of these trees and be good for firewood and good for fire in the boilers and do a bit of weight. Yeah. But um, really, the, the future's in Australia. So they went to Australia and they ran a whole bunch of policies. They kind of stuck them up, right, here in the air with the indigenous populations and whatnot. And so then by the time they kind of came back to New Zealand 150 years later, they'd kind of learned, their lessons a bit a bit better and they were kind of Confident. and they didn't stuff it up as
2: much so right. to
0: speak to to grossly oversimplify 200 years well. of history but in the same in the same regard um in the okanagan these guys setting up these sustainability programs they were able they're able to reach out to other people and learn from you know, what they've done right. to get this program into being. It's probably going to be one of the most credible sustainable programs in the world if they can get the the wineries and everybody to update. They had, uh, you know, independent reviews of some global guys to have a look at it and poke holes in it. And that's a really, really good program. And then that extends to vineyard planting. You know, they've got some brilliant people up there planting the vineyards, these new developments they've got tons of experience with planting and they've taken the right approach soil samples, weather analysis, bringing consultants like Olivia Brett to, you know, help people make decisions based on the land that's in front of them. Right. Rather than, oh, let's just wing it and give it a go, you know, learning from other people's mistakes. So that was the second fold that made me, and, and I know like really excited when you got there and started unpacking what was going on. Um, you just kind of get really,
1: really excited. Well, there's not many places uh, on the planet left. I don't think particularly in the wine world where you can kind of get in on the ground floor almost. Yeah. I mean, you know, there were, there were pioneers in that region from like, I think the seventies. So it's got a similar kind of timescale to New Zealand in that respect. Um, mm. But of course, New Zealand you know leaped uh, forward in, in huge strides as opposed to Canada and you know th- there's a few um uh, legislative reasons for that I think like they have a hard time exporting their wines even just out of the 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 province r- let alone the country um but you as a as a young winemaker landing there and I mean, I noticed it in the, in the, only the three days that I was there. There's just a huge energy in the region, particularly among the younger folk that I spoke to about like where this could go and what we could achieve and, um, and how great this place, like the, just the potential just waiting to kind of be unlocked. Like it was clearly already there, you know, um, Interestingly enough, some of the Chardonnay that I tried particularly Hmm. down along, um, what was that guy's name? Phil, uh, Phil McGann at Checkmate uh, Checkmate Winery, you know, they were focusing specifically on Chardonnay and I think Merlot. Yeah, like like site-oriented, right? provenance. Yeah, totally. Like this is a site site, um, site wine. I mean, you know, (laughs) whatever you think of Merlot, Um, Miles. What's his face from Sideways, notwithstanding? Oh, these were good wines. You know, these were phenomenal wines, and Malo can knock your socks off on occasion. Um, and these almost did. I think I got a little bit um miffed at the at the price. I mean, the price point was was out of control. But um, anyway, the point is, you you're kind of landing there. Um. As a young winemaker, that could could just unlock so much potential. Like if I was a younger winemaker, it would be the first place I would go to. Um, yeah, and and you could exactly, right? effectively build a career. And <laughs> and cool. you know, you you can't land in the Hunter these days really, and kind of do a totally new thing because it would be silly to and. Honestly, we've it's, 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 it's already been done, and it hasn't worked, and that's why you know you <laughs> yeah. stick to stick to um, incredible Sam and Shard and uh, Yeah, you'd be, you'd be arrogant to think that those guys have been sitting on their ass, you know, <laughs> not thinking about this. Oh, you. totally. I mean, that's no, human nature, no. right? I'm here um, to fix it, like. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. Oh, and that's that's the funny thing, though, which was interesting for me. Um, which was like a really new trip on it, right? So, I mean, I I did a Harvest and Hunter and um, I got really well looked after in the fact of access to information, understanding and learning, Mm you know. It was abundantly available. Yeah. I did a masterclass at Brokenwood and we looked at breezlings from the seventies from the Limestone Coast, Kunawara, wow. uh did heaps of tastings looking at seventy year old vines on sands of Hunter versus, you know, Clay. And you, you could just access this information. You know, there's guys like Tom over on the corner, there's guys after they've been playing a rugby match, they'll be down at the pub <laughs> and drinking some beers, and you could rack their brain on on stuff that
1: they noticed, just deep understanding. Deep, deep, deep. One and I've, always, I've, heard had
2: I've always had
1: that. Yeah. Well, but you're, you're a, um, incredible listener and a, and a sponge, I think. And, and, you know, in the, in the few times that I've met you over the years, you know, you've you've always got an incredibly considerate way of receiving and listening for information. And I mean, the thing is with the, with the wine industry, I don't think I know of a, of a more generous industry with regards to yeah. time information and exchange of, of that sort of stuff. And, you know, if, if you are willing and able and you demonstrate that, you know, that you're keen to learn and to, to, to engage, like, yeah, yeah you'll meet so, some of the most generous people you've ever met. Totally. Right. And so, so you go to Canada, you go to the Okanagan, and uh, you know,
0: that doesn't really exist to a to the, the greater the extent as what I'm used to. You no, know, I could go to Oregon, I can wreck people's brain. I, Martinborough, you know, one kind of knows a whole bunch of stuff. You can dive in. You're in, you're in Europe where you can go, go and go, go as far as you want. Right. Um, and so then I like I, oh, the way I do, I don't know how I do it, but I end up talking to people and I kind of rack their brains. So um, I met this old winemaker and he started firing me these old Merlots and stuff from the 70s and 80s <laughs> that he had in a cellar. No one else wanted to drink. And so I start popping them open with the guys at work <laughs> um, of the cellar hands from the Okanagan they've been trained out east in UC Davis. I mean, not UC Davis, but uh, the Brock University. Uh And and they're kind of like, oh, you know, why would you want to taste this Merlot? I'm like, why would you not want to taste this (laughs) Merlot? You've got the opportunity to taste some of the very first wines of this region and talk to the winemakers and ask them, why the hell did you make this decision? Yeah, how did you get to this? You know, so that was fantastic. But it was few and far between, you know, only got a handful of wines. I was trying to get some of the old wines from Phantom Creek State, the, those vineyards, because I'd been through, you know, two ownerships and, of companies. Mm-hmm. But the vineyards have been there for a while, you know, some of the original plantings in the region. I'm trying to get these wines, you know, I'm trying to talk to the guys. And it, it just wasn't as, wasn't as easy as what it was used to, which was great for me because it was a completely new way for me to have to work. And for me to have to communicate and unlock this stuff, you
1: know, it was, it was really cool. Do you like, think uh, it had anything to do with the fact that you're an outsider? Um, and I don't know, maybe there was a, I mean, you know what human beings are like. They can be very weird sometimes and, uh, you know, they, think, cl- they close up.
0: Yeah. And I think it's all more like, you know, these regions.
1: I, I remember in,
0: in New Zealand, And uh, the Pinots, and the first thing internationals will say, well, they won't age, you know, the wines in the the 90s. Mm -hmm. Those wines won't. And then it was like, oh, they're too fruity or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then all the winemakers and the people who work in the industry here have this kind of bit of an inferiority, inferiority complex, and you're comparing yourself to other regions. You're comparing yourself to North America or Europe or whatever, and you're trying to compare yourself. And, and you got this inferiority complex going on, and then after a while, you go, you know what, we're doing what we're doing, and we're doing it this way, and we believe in it, we have intent on in what we're doing, it, persevering, and progressing, and loving it, right? So, when I'm asking these questions in the Okanagan, there's still kind of like this little bit of inferiority complex around our wines are maybe not that good, or why would you want to taste that? Or, you know, we had a smoke paint year that year, or you no. Know, um, the, the, the vines were overcropped because we got it from a contractor or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I do not I care okay. about that. You know, that. That is the history. That is what happened. That's how you went from there to, to where
1: you are now. Yeah. And it's all part of the story. i just just trying to unlock it, you know.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. I love it.
1: You've got to make mistakes along the way and fail better each and every time. Otherwise, you don't learn anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you don't get to make those. I mean, look, to be honest, you know, my impressions of the wines and, you know, with these things, you get sent to some of the bigger players and obviously there's money involved. So, you know, it's those that are putting up the money to enable you to actually be there. You, you know, you have to go and do that. Um, and and so you don't generally get to see maybe some of the ones that maps your your palate would really adore. But I mean, so what? Um, you know, I, having said all of that, there were some wineries like like Phantom Creek. And I, like I said to you at the start, I I drove up the drive and I'm like greeted by these enormous sculptures and there's obviously a shit ton of money that's been poured into this place. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, here we go. Like, great. You know, we've got an ego trip thing going on here and, and the wines are kind of an aside or a nice little value add. but they blew my socks off every single one of those wines, Um, particularly the Syrah and particularly the Cuvée, which had um actually, I think it was a majority Franc. I actually know just looking at my notes here is only 8%. The Pinot Gris as well. But the point is those wines knocked my socks off. There were other wineries that I visited that was like, yeah, and you, maybe you have overcropped. Maybe you've extracted too much. Maybe this, that, and the other. Uh, But you'll get there. You know, I, I tell you, one of the wineries uh, that really impressed me was the, um, the winery down in Osoyoos that was owned by the Indigenous uh, Incomit.
0: Yeah.
1: Is that right? eat.: Yeah. Yeah, and that winemaker there, he was cool. I met him a couple of times too. Very he cool. Was great. Very cool people. Uh, yeah. and, their, and their Rieslings, um, particularly the whites actually, I really enjoyed. They had this one called the Dreamcatcher. Mm. Um. And, you know, it was, it was just a fun little wine to smash, basically. And I, and I, I really wish I would taken home a bottle. But, I mean, this is the thing. There's people out there, they're getting after it, they're making the mistakes, they're learning the yeah. lessons. Um, yeah. And I get it, you know, self-deprecation and, and, and that sort of thing is easy. Uh, and you don't want to go out and, and be a bull at a gate either and say, how wonderful. You, you need to toe that line and be a little humble and uh, yeah, so- let the world decide. So
0: I so I guess the, there is a bit of that apprehension um when I'm asking these guys these questions the way that I do, you know, like why this outsider, like why are they asking why why is he so interested? <laughs> <You> no <know? laughs> <laughs> you know, like, one else seems scared. Yeah, like they they just come down here on vacation, they go out in their boat, they buy a case, yeah, happy, happy days, so let's move on. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you yeah, know, like, tell, tell me all
1: these all the bits
0: and
1: pieces you know like how do you how do you end up making these decisions <laughs> yeah, well, when i come back uh, back home i you know published a few articles uh on the re on the region and you know I, I i said like this place has just got enormous potential and it's dying for experienced people to just go there and make a name for themselves really if, if they if they want mm. or not even make a name necessarily for themselves, but make a, make a name for these little sub-regions that were emerging, like Naramata Bench and Black Sage, um, yeah. you know, and even uh, down along Skaha, um, yeah. a little bit further further south. And
0: I'm, yeah, and I'm, I'm confident that they've got, a, um, they've got those guys in there. And it's, it's the same old story. It, um, what happens is it's the same people get tapped on the shoulder to – to do the committee work, to do the group work, to get on the phone and talk to other people. Um, and uh, that succession sort of planning or like having some sort of like rotational <laughs> reliance, you know, to keep people going along is, is something uh, I don't think a lot of regions put a lot of thought to, yeah. you know, in terms of governance of that. Um and it's not really the nature of it, right? Like, they're all really, people are always really, really busy, and, and it tends to be the people who are the most busiest that take on more work, for greater greater good, um, because that's just the way they're on. You know, but there, there definitely is this, there's a good group of people in there behind the scenes who are promoting these things, who are doing tasting events, who are hanging out, and uh, who love the region, love the wine yeah and so you know, and then, um, we had a whole lot of grand plans, and just like everybody else, along comes COVID and turns everything on its head right? so, and without getting into it, um it just it just gets more complicated and more complicated and more complicated you know? each way you look, you've got young family, you've got kids and stuff going on, you got um, visa processing times you have um travel restrictions trying to come home through MiQ in new zealand is an absolute disaster people trying to do it now mm. you just can't get over and so a lot of uncertainty and um and some other bits and pieces going on and i'm i'm, I'm always a real big advocate of uh the company that you kind of work for and and um if I see opportunities to um, exit in, in a way with with good potential to not cause any disruption, you kind of do. I just kind of I would rather kind of go in that direction. Mm-hmm. And it was getting to the point where there well, it wasn't very certain whether or not if something came up, then we had to leave Canada. Um, I might I might not have been able to get back in. Right. And I just
1: didn't think that that was um, responsible, you know.
0: It's
1: no, not cheap, fair to your family. Winemaker of business.
0: Yeah. So it was pretty cool. We had uh, two uh, assistant winemakers, essentially. One was a cellar master, one was assistant winemaker. One had a you know, huge affinity with Olivier Umbrecht, which was really obvious. So, you know, had them focusing on quality first and foremost. Um, and we appointed her as a white winemaker um, on the way out. And then Cellarmaster was working really closely with um, Red Wine, Consult, Wine Consultant consultant, and that was looking like, you know, nice little, nice little structure. Uh, and then um, being able to bring in a, in a winemaking director to kind of do a little bit more of this governance and, and reporting that, because it's a brand new company, it just hadn't existed before. So all that was kind of lining up and...
1: Um, so, you know, made it easier to kind of exit out. Were you disappointed um all of that notwithstanding to to kind of leave the region, leave the the area? Oh yeah, totally. Bummed out. Like
0: I, I was like looking like I didn't see a bear, you know? <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, we're doing some yeah. bi- we're doing, some bi- we're doing some bi- dynamic preps with um one of the guys over there, he he's really, really great vineyard vitico- manager of viticulture. He's really into it. And I'm trying to get him to get me some stag bladders and, and bits and pieces. And I was going to get some, like, chamomile and, like, stuff it in an intestine and hang it over my shoulder and go walking in the hills, you know, to try to see a bear. Because it was a bit of a running joke that I'd never seen one. The guys would see them on their way to work in the car, you know. They <laughs> hadn't seen one. So um, I just saw a moose and we, we got around and skied some really good hills before we locked down and got down to um, Portland and saw the um, godmother of our sun she's make it down there right on we got around a little bit and we got to tick off a few things but um we, yeah we we didn't we didn't take off nearly as much as what we were going to you know yeah
1: yeah so were it, you it, planning it to fun. stay you know for a decent while like were you planning to maybe even i don't know establish or was it always going to be sort of like a five-year something no well we
0: we'll, we'll got like uh So your kids can start school in in Canada around six. Mm -hmm. And so that was our first kind of checkpoint. We're like, when Andrea's ready to go to school, we'll we'll have a look, you know? And we were on track to be like, okay, the next checkpoint would be when Frida is ready to go to school. And Andrea can be the, the guinea pig on the school system in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Canada. He'd keep getting in trouble because they' turn up in bare feet all the time. And they're like, no, I mean, you've got to... you got to shoes, dude. Whereas here in, here in Gisborne, we just had another... He's, he starts school at the end of this month and uh, shoes are not a requirement. Nope. <laughs> you know? So he's pretty stoked on that. Um, and I guess that's a bit of a segue into how we'll come back and, and why we're in Gisborne. And and it is it is to do with this kind of, you know, family aspect. Yeah, um, yeah. Canada yeah. was like a family move, and and, and Gisborne is a family move, and there's a whole lot of stuff here that really align with that mm-hmm. for us. Um, and in the winemaking, you know, this region's pretty much like ninety five percent unirrigated. So yeah, right. Hanging out with Olivia Umbrecht for two years, you know, um, and talking about. Succession planning, and you know, he's got some children that are kind of coming up through the winery, and, and then talking about uh, sustainability from a viticultural and high quality wine aspect. Um, yeah, you really start thinking about rootstocks and clonal and all this sort of stuff, and soil types, and, and to remove irrigation out of that equation um, is really exciting for me. And it's not something
1: I've got too much experience with right so well that's it because you you've come from central which yeah. um you know is dry as a bone really
2: yeah
1: um because of the southern alps right everything just dumps on there and then it, whatever rain does pass on it's pretty rare um 100 mils a year right the, and the availability to water is so easy
0: right you know, so it kind of goes hand in hand and it brings a lot of security um, to crop variation and whatnot. So for businesses starting up, you know, you've got huge capital investments, a lot of risk and things But you know, it
2: helps, helps mm-hmm. get regions established. Um, it's,
0: you know, integral part of a lot of um, New World Wine region. Very integral part of, of New Zealand, but it's, it's something that uh, is definitely a challenge. That needs to be needs to be faced, uh, and there are a lot of people in New Zealand
1: that are facing it head on. Like people that are dry farming. Well, Gisborne, diseases, you know, so. it, it's a it's an old wine region for for New by New Zealand standards. Um, you know, it's Headless, up there right? one of the first, right? It, uh, Auckland, I think, being one of the first. Um, but uh, you know, I flew into flew into Gisborne from Auckland once, I think. 2015 uh, and when I got there someone said to me oh you know where are you from and I was like oh, um, the hunter the hunter valley like oh we're, we're a similar latitude to the <laughs> hunter and I was like oh really um apparently I, I don't know but I guess the reason that you can dry grow a lot of your vines there is because you've got a decent amount of moisture is that right yeah you know we were looking at some uh, uh, some vintage data.
0: Uh, We've been running some trials, and I said, "Oh, it'd be kind of interesting to throw the soil moisture data over the over the graph." And they're like, "We don't even have any probes, man. <laughs> we don't even check you know? don't the, sure. the water is available." You know? um, and so that was that was really cool um, to link back to. Being a little bit more familiar about gaining access to information, I mean, I've already had conversations with guys here about you know nearly you know thousands and thousands of barrels of um, sherry, you know, and this is a huge sherry producing region. Um, I've got guys working, you know, that I'm responsible for looking after here in the cellar in Gisborne that have gone through Corbins, have gone through. Penfolds, and Malo um, like Demiac, the and they used to cooper all their own barrels. Mm. We've got an engineering team here that built the cellars. You know, they they built the the racking for the barrels for you know like a thousand, ten thousand barrel haul. Wow, you know? all those sort of skills. And then you've got like Montepulciano, you've got Tempranero planted, you've got Muscat kicking around. You had, you've got all these great varieties. And, but you've also got the institutional knowledge that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we've got some port here at the, at the front door. It's in a big uh, 300 kind of hogshead, and then we've got this little little one at the bar. You know, it's an old Corbin's barrel, mm-hmm. probably 30 years old by now. Mm-hmm. Beautiful little um, 20 liter. Uh, so all that stuff exists, and there's all these uh, photos up on the wall. We've got a lot of history kicking around, and uh, I love that stuff. I absolutely love that stuff. And I love unpacking those stories. And I love talking to people about it. It kind of keeps me ticking. Right, right. But the other, really, the other really cool thing about Gisborne is that people think it's, it's isolated, but it's not, it's not. It's kind of like um, it's secluded. And uh, they have got everything here to be a healthy community. You've still got the dude who can, who can fix your fax machine. You know? He's got a shop front. <laughs> you can fix your collaborators and your fax machine. There's, like, there's, a, there's a community uh, music hall. Um, they, still have, they still have the bridge scores and the local paper. That's you've got three cool. life-saving clubs. You've got all the sports clubs and facilities you can think of. Um, you've
1: got all the – everything you need is kind of here. Community. Community, right? And potential and so, for, uh, for strengthening all of that um yeah. yeah right and and because
0: like a, a work like if you work for these high profile wineries and bits and pieces um unfortunately kind of what goes hand in hand with that well it's a benefit it's, it's really exciting and fun and, and it adds to the flavor this transient nature of your staff members if you get heaps of internationals coming in every year i mean at carrick i'd get 150 uns Unsolicited request that we cover, and all your pickers, and you get all these people coming in and war, and it's great. You know, it's like a lot of ideas, a lot of really really cool stuff you can do, and you can get a lot of inspiration from. Them. But you don't see those people um, raising families in that region and have them going to the schools and, and whatnot, right? Right. But so in terms of like from a social aspect, the s- sustainability. Uh, of social and, and diversity of people working for you or working in your region. I haven't had too much experience with that. You get a taste of it when you're in Europe and, you, you know, you meet third and fourth generation um, tractor drivers or, you know, fourth or fifth generation um, box makers, you know, the... the yeah, yeah, the timber boxes. boxes. Yeah. I've got these pin machines and stuff. You, you, meet all these, you meet all these people and it's really ingrained in the community. And so, you know, I asked the guys here in the, in the job interview, you know, if you shut down, because I are like, you know, well, why are you coming to work here? I'm like, well, you know, if you guys shut down, who would care in the community? Hmm. And if this business shut down, it would impact a lot of people in the community. And some of the guys have been working here 25 years, did he? they? They have raised families here. They've all gone off to university. Um, and so, and I think that's quite unique in, in New Zealand. And Gisborne's the sort of region where I can really uh, see that from the ground up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We've been had a recent had a conversation with some of the um, market gardeners as well. There's a big there's a big uh, company here called Leaderbrand, and there's some other businesses around, and they've been um, seriously looking at suicide prevention stuff, putting their heads together, and like you know how do you tackle that?
1: Well, I mean this is how the you, thing,
0: right? Like yeah, you, how do you take some of this mental well being stuff, you know, that's
1: really, really hard. You know, but it's super important. It's incredibly important and I don't think it gets enough. I mean, everybody seems to to treat, I guess, the the disease. I love that thing that James Milton and you know, Gisborne Weingrawer, James Milton, he always says, you know, um, decrease uh, increase the ease, decrease the disease. Yeah, and that's it's right. that disease compound word. And um and you can apply that to so many things, particularly something like, um, youth and, and mental, uh, mental health issues and things, you know, you're talking about those transient, um, workers and that inability to put down some roots and to really, I guess, establish yourself within a community. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily go out and join boards and committees and things like that, but you could just be, you know, just a familiar face down the shops, um, you know, a familiar face at work and, and having that longevity and and literal sustainability of raising a, a family and, and, and adding, contributing to the, the, the fabric of that community. I don't, I don't know if we get to do that often enough anymore and i don't know well i have some reasons and i have some ideas as to why that is you know Mm. but it's incredibly difficult for one um i mean look here in the hunter when i was growing up it was um you know you could do whatever you like really but if you want to actually make some good coin go and work in the mines you know and and you get paid a shit ton of money to do very little. And no disrespect, you know, to to, to that particular job, but... You know, <laughs> you're going to get some trolls off that comment. Yeah. Well, I you're don't gonna... think that they actually listen to a Fermenting Place podcast, <laughs> to be honest with you. My old man's a miner, you know, he's a coal miner from way back. And, you know, he said, like, do whatever you want. If you want to work in the mines, you know, fine. But I'm not going to help you get a job in there. You have to do it yourself. Um, And I never really wanted to anyway. But the, I guess you know, you get to a point now where you think, well, shit, I could be earning so much more money and maybe I would have a house and, and actually have that ability then to put down some roots and establish yourself within a community. I feel like I've done that anyway, despite that, but that's what I'm saying. It's like these transient workers that come in and want to do vintage or harvest or any sort of thing, they need a reason to stay. And you know, if they can't get a foothold, there's really no reason to stay. Um, mm. And so you drift on the wind again and it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Diff- yeah, and then, uh, it's, it is really
0: hard. I mean, housing is a huge problem, massive, massive problem. Um, a lot of these cool regions or whatever that, you know, on the forefront of people's minds are also the ones that are on the forefront of everybody else's minds, the tourism or whatnot. The housing availability mm-hmm. is- not impossible. Foster housing is going through the roof. Oh, so it's, it's really difficult for people to, to look at the wine sector as a viable long-term career. You know, Really tricky. Mm. And this is exactly the same here in Gisborne. You've got, you know, if you're leaving school at 16, 17 years of age, you're not going to go prune a vineyard for minimum wage. You're going to go into forestry. Are mm-hmm. you going to go into fisheries? You're going to go into to other sectors that uh, pay better and, and potentially have a a better pathway towards security, you know, of, of income. Um, and you know, this this the same problem, same problem in Europe. Um, wine industry isn't that sexy, you know. You're trying to get a tractor driver. Skills and the mentality required of a tractor driver, they can go get a, they can go be a loader, Mm. a truck driver, or a digger, grader, you know, or a skid operator, double their income, instant.
1: I mean, there's no, how do you
0: you get them? You know, it's this, it's it's, it's actually like this, I don't think there's any really any answers to it. Um, and and it's, it's tricky, but it definitely intrigues me, and, and I'm really, I really, I'm really into it. And um,
2: I yeah how I to make,
0: know was- how to make certified organic wine, right? I know how to win some trophies doing that. Um, I had the opportunity to look at that financially while I was at Carrot. Um, I looked at that financially while I was in Canada, and then how to you know migrate into biodynamics. You know, I'm you know had a burp, had my toes dipped in the water with that too. Been looking at that for a while, but this whole uh, Long term sort of stuff
1: and people and community is what I've really got my brain on at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, building, building, and and it becomes so much more important once you have a family too. You never really quite realise it until you're responsible (laughs) for these little little minds, and you know, you 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 want to do your best by them. And I mean, you know, I I've been thinking about this recently as well, but for some reason I feel like it's it's our responsibility to leave the place in a better state than when we found it. Right. Mm. And that's kind of the deal, right? You, you constant general improvement over time. Good motivator. That, you that, know, you know, that, that concept's a good motivator, you know, it helps you
0: to. Yeah. Well, it's, it's know, like going you camping, people. you
1: know, you don't, you don't go camping and then just leave the place a tip full of all your, all your rubbish and everything. You, you leave no trace, you clean everything up. And you disturb it as little as possible and 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 you are grateful for the time that you spent, but that's our role on 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 earth when we're our responsibility is to leave our community in a better place than when we found it, and by extrapolation, you could argue society and civilization, and you know not to get too macro, but it seems to me like there is uh a force at work and I don't know where it is or where it's coming from or anything like that, but it feels like there's the place is being left in a worse place in a, in a worse state than when people found it. And, uh, and then it, it has these knock on effects, you know, these second and third order effects to younger generations who are trying to get a foothold and establish Mm -hmm. themselves within a region and an area in a community to Go yeah. to work and make it better.
0: Um, yeah, and so, and so I feel like um, sustainability programs, organic certification, biodynamic certifications, biodynamic certifications—you know, th- these sorts of things help to frame and provide you with some actions that you can go after to to mitigate those physical degradation of the land, mm-hmm. you know, Physical pollution of rivers physical pollution of workers being, you know, exposed to things that are carcinogenic and whatnot, mm-hmm. production of um, additives and whatnot that are getting passed on to consumers, you know. It's all that stuff, right? Right. Good good things, really, really good stuff. But, you know, it, le- it leaves me wondering, you know, about the mental well-being aspect. And so that's, yeah, that's why I'm kind of, that's that's why that's where i'm at at the moment gisman's a really good spot for that um the company that i'm working for is miles ahead than any other company i've kind of worked for with ability to kind of make real inroads in in these sorts of areas i've got some really great policies in place already around flexible um, working time you can kind of log on and download the sheet Mm-hmm. Straight off the servers, and it tells you like how to apply for it and do all these bits and pieces. We've got union member workers. We've got all sorts of stuff going on here, yeah. and it's, um, it's like when I was making wine. In order for me to to make good wine, I had to work in the vineyard first. And so in Marlborough, I was working in the vineyard. And then I moved into the winery, and it helped me understand how to make better wine. Mm-hmm. It was in Central Otago. I first started out in the vineyard care. And then after a year, then I moved into the winery and it just cemented and made a fast track my understanding of, of the winemaking. So here, I'm you know, production manager, I'm, I'm dealing with these guys on a day-to-day and I'm right in, the, right in the thick of it. And it's, I'm hoping that's going to help me understand how to, how to be better at all this, all this sort of stuff in the future. And and there's other people that are out there that, that are doing these sorts of things that I'm also looking at. You know, you've got guys in, in Newtown and in Sydney that have opened up their, you know, bottle shops and doing stuff and working with the community there. You've you heard, like, Maynard Keating over, overseas. He could put a vineyard anywhere in the world and he chose to put it in, in his backyard in his hometown. There are a lot of people who are doing this stuff um, and uh, I just want to be right in there with that conversation is what what what
1: interests me at the moment for sure yeah you know um talking (laughs) it's it's always such a trip to be able to say this but talking with maynard from from uh caduceus sellers you know i think it was episode 17 maybe 20 i don't know for many place, but you know he established those sites in arizona and jerome around there And it was this little, you know, backwater town and obviously he has enough capital to sort of invest in, in the region, but it's, it's one thing to just chuck money at something. It's another to actually boots on the ground, build it up and start putting little businesses in like his Osteria and sell a door and tasting rooms. And, and then the rest of the community see that and they get juiced by it and they're like, well, yeah, let's, let's. Let's be a part of it. And then from that, you kind of spiral out to building this community that uh, that starts to sort of feed off itself, you know, with its own little energy and its own little economic system that uh, supports everybody. And, I mean, it's difficult because you've got to, uh, these day and age, Yet, unfortunately, you have to have a shit ton of capital to... Yeah. To throw at something first and foremost, and I guess that's kind of my point. Is like, you know, it's so difficult to even just um, come up with that capital in the first place to even then try and build that community up, you know, and and then sustain it for the long term.
0: Yeah,
1: and I mean, I was I was just talking with telemasters um, Masters
0: um, two days ago up in, in Pena and. Uh, and there's a, I can give you lots of examples of people who actually really care, you know, and you don't have to have a big, massive company and whatnot to do this stuff. And it might be as simple as, you know, she mentioned um, for a period there that they were working with a lot with contractors, you know, to do contract work in the vineyard. They've, they've moved away from that more recently because of other reasons. But one of her, like, critical tasks was to go out every week and check with the guys that are doing the job in the vineyard, have you been paid? You know, mm-hmm. you guys been paid for And if they hadn't, getting on the phone and going, hey, guys, what's up?
1: Yeah. You know, and,
0: and, and some contractor's trying to brush it off like, oh, that's got nothing to do with you. So, well, it's like, well, it actually does. Yeah. Thank you very much. You know? And so um, it's that sort of attitude you know, that inspires me. Right. I'm willing to get in behind people. I'm a, I would work to my bones to, for people like that. And um, I asked some pretty tough questions to the guys here in Invin, and they just, they just nailed all the answers, you know. we have got some really cool initiatives within the company that um, around um, development and, and career expectations and career progression and trying to help people get off the ground and do stuff, um, and they look at it from lots of different angles, and they have people employed as their full-time job to take care of the stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. they put resources to it. Um, feed, they feed the staff once a week here. We've got, you know, pretty big staff, 30-odd people. And uh, they do all sorts of bits and pieces. And, um, and that started from really, really small, and it's just growing and grown and growing. And so now they're a sort of company that can achieve even bigger things. My point is that there are other businesses in New Zealand and around the world who are doing great, great stuff. You don't necessarily need to have a coin. Uh, so you just gotta, you just gotta be willing to, to put your neck out and sometimes say the difficult things that other people aren't, don't want to approach. Yeah, you, um, you've got to create you know, a culture. Stuff that other people don't wanna, you know, don't want to address. You've got to take on a lot of. Um, one-on-one communications with people. that can be pretty rough at times, you know, um,
1: build trust, build relationships. Takes a, lot of, takes a lot out of you, but, you know, I think it's really valuable. Well, it's worth it, uh, particularly the result that you could yield uh, at the end of all of that, you know. Um, put time into people
2: and, uh, and, you know,
1: let them, just let them go. Let them show you. Yeah. What they can do, I think, super important, uh, and building that culture to enable that as well to facilitate that uh, is is crucial to getting a good result over the and, long term. And, and that's what biodynamics has taught me the most. I think, right, the observation
0: and the power of the spoken word. You know, like, how is the environment affecting you as an individual within the system? this farming unit or whatever, cosmos, all sorts of stuff going on, right? Comes in, into your brain, and then words come out of your mouth. <laughs> and uh, those words that come out of your mouth have found impact on the people around you. You know? And uh, there's a lot of other sayings around there. Um, one of them is like, uh, I think you've got like, one one mouth but two ears, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so there's all this sort of stuff. and And reading and looking at biodynamics and looking at all the observational stuff and all the farming practices and all these other bits and pieces, it's that that power of the spoken word and, and what's in understanding what's influencing you, around you and how you fit within the system, but also what you're doing physically and how you're acting and talking around people has a huge impact on wine quality, on engagement staff and and uh, Vineyard practices, all that stuff, Stirring, you know, biodynamics itself. So yeah, that's that's a big take home for me from biodynamics that I've learned, which I really love. And no, if you you know, I don't think you definitely have to be uh, following the calendar, Uh, but having an awareness of what's going on out there actually helps you understand
1: maybe what's going on with you, and then maybe how you're interacting with other people too. Oh absolutely yeah I mean this is the thing in this space you're fortunate for the fact that you can be outside amongst uh the environment and uh, and and observe over the year you know I've got to say like when i when I came home from london uh in in at start of I guess like 2012 you know I'd never really considered the hunter as, as my. Home as my place. And over the last, say, 10 years or so, I've made a conscious effort. And I think it's been inspired a lot by the wine industry, but also by dynamics and that emphasis on observation to really start tuning myself into the seasons. You know, I'd never done that before because I just grew up in mm. suburbia and it was just like, whatever. But knowing that, oh, August is here and this is when the westerlies blow. And that means that spring is on the way and, um, and obviously summer and so on. And, uh, you know, just, I guess being a little bit more observant of the place that you're in is, uh, is really important and you can, and can help to, yeah, I guess, articulate some of those thoughts rattling around in your brain. Yeah. It's a good thing about wine, and, and you, you
0: bottle it. And you, you bottle it, right. <laughs> you bottle those thoughts, and you can come back to them, you know, and, and you open up that bottle and it unlocks all this stuff. I was talking to um, capsule. Jace from Spadira, uh, he, he and he had the 2016 wine, right? And uh, we started unpacking it. Boof, all this stuff starts coming out of the season, you know, all these things. Memory. Like you say, weather patterns. um, Like you, how how you started out this conversation between you and me um, today? You're like, all right, get me in the zone. How how did your morning start? You know, and I'm like talking about the southerly and the snow, right on. on, Yeah, and that's the cool thing about wine. It gives you this tangible thing. You bottle it, uh, and it it can, if you if you if you're that involved,
2: um,
0: encapsulate feelings, emotions, thoughts intent, you know, Mm. integrity, you know, it can bring all this stuff out um, that you might have, you haven't looked back on, you haven't reflected on for a while. Like if you start out snowboarding, you think you suck. And then a few years later, you still think you suck. But if you look back, (laughs) how much better you've actually got, um, you know, you can pat yourself on the back. And that's the cool thing with wine. Really yeah, cool. track things.
1: yourself and your improvements and mistakes, achievements, them, whatever, over you know? time.
0: And, and you have the opportunity to convey that with someone else. You, know, you can go along the journey. You've got these wine tasting clubs that you have with your buddies. You, know, you might have tasted these wines together a couple of times. Mm. You relive it. You really look at it from a new perspective, like you mentioned before. You know? I've matured in the way I've been thinking, and it's usually been impacted by my partner and by my children. You know? Yeah, so I can look back on things in a completely different light. You know, before I was just like a immature dude, just cruising around the world making wine. Now it's like I, I absorbed a bit more.
1: <laughs> well, it all comes and- back to, to meaning, I think. And um, that uh, idea, I, I know I certainly felt a hell of a lot of meaning when I found certain wines that really did resonate in my brain and rewired them to an extent. And I found that incredibly powerful. And then and I and I know that the only reason I'm sitting here chatting to you on the For Place podcast is because, you know, I found an enormous amount of meaning in wine. And hmm. it sort of gave you a bit of a, a purpose and something to pursue and to learn about and to follow down the rabbit hole and really just kind of unlock
2: big, big holes all day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it is infinite, you know, it's, it's incredible. Um, super, super special. I just want to quickly riff a little bit on your time at Carrick and well central and, and how that kind of compares to the landscape. I'd like to sort of do a place to place comparison of say like the Okanagan and central or New Zealand really in general, maybe, you know, from say at least Martinborough down Mm. with that sort of um yep. i mean the landscape is is relatively similar i guess
0: yeah yeah we, we were posting we were posting images in the okanagan and uh people were like e- i thought you guys went to canada you know, <laughs> isn't that are you in are you in the Cromwell basin no like, no nah, nah. and uh the funny thing was is the um they've got a mural of like a giant peach and penticton you know and, and cromwell has got like the same sort of mural that we're through. <laughs> so the, the the look of the landscape was um, really, really similar. Yeah. Uh, the geology is is, is different. Right. Um, You've got the massive, in North America, you got these massive parts of the continent that popped up out of the ocean, moved east and smashed into a landmass. Right? Then the next one popped up. It's like four of them. And that did a whole lot of crazy stuff. So the geology is a bit different. He had some big damming effects through the glaciers up, up in the so Yeah. The way things have been shaped and formed is, is different. Um, but then you start listening to some of the stories, you know, and there's this one guy, Derek, who um, I've got a, uh, he, he is winemaker, but him and his partner, Sonny, and a couple of other guys opened up this um, deli in town. And he was talking to me about all the you know all the salmon that was in the region you know and and how the um, the bones of, of the salmon are uh, in the riverbeds you know and and uh, he likes to think of all all of the movement of that those spirits through his rosé you know like when he's drinking rosé he thinks of <laughs> he's, he thinks of these things and so you start unpacking these more um, localized stories and you really start to see the differences and all similarities. Um, you've got all the tree resins and things, you know, right. and years and years and years and years of um, uh, Ponderosa forests in the Okanagan and those resins and the impact in the soil. Um, and like you mentioned earlier about the, the West Coast, the divide, the mountains and all the rain falling on the West Coast of New Zealand and and Central Targo being relatively you know, relatively dry, the Cascade Mountains extending up yes. through Washington and Oregon and then the um, coastal ranges of um, BC and Vancouver, you the same effect. Mm-hmm. But in New Zealand, east of Central Targo, you have the ocean, whereas east of the Cascades in Washington, you've got montana Idaho. You've got <laughs> it's nothing. it's flat
1: <laughs> you
0: yeah. watch your dog run away for three weeks In <laughs> yeah. east of bc you've got this massive plateau of alberta and the prairie lands of saskatchewan and whatnot so yeah uh, so that so that's different there too but um so the, the there's this visual aspects that are very familiar right
1: um but then been very, very different also. Do you see um, similarities, comparisons between how that all expresses itself uh, within the wines that are produced in, in those two regions? No, I, I think there's just more of your approach,
0: right? And, and I think there's a lot of winemakers and viticulturists around the world that have an approach, and, it's, and the good ones, they usually have their own approach. Or they have their own um, intent and belief and why that approach is, is what they're wanting to unpack, you know. Mm-hmm. And they more recently, I kind of see people where they identify the challenge that that they see, and then they also talk to their neighbours and see if you know they, they see the same challenges and they come they ID them really well, you know. Best guys kind of ID their challenge, yeah, the fastest. And then they also like come up with some action, actual things that they're gonna do to face that challenge head on. Yeah, and you know the classic one at the moment is conversion of herbicides into non-herbicide farming. You know that then leads into reduced spread, which then leads into organic. So they they ID all these challenges along the way and how to how to meet them. They talk to their neighbours about it. Right? Um so i think it's more of a process thing you know and uh i think a lot of these processes the way people go about making wine and and viticulture are valid you know i don't think one is necessarily more valid than the other um, but but what i've learned over time is that um whatever keeps the fires burning for you to keep you going on that path Mm. is super important and then having the support network around you from uh, other individuals, other wine professionals, because day-to-day public don't care. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like They shouldn't care as much as what you do. You know, it's just weird how how far we get down the rabbit hole with, with grape growing and winemaking. So <laughs> those professionals around you, like yourself, then that's
1: really important, you know, support network, to, to make to keep you sane. Yeah, you need um, those keepers of the flame to... Yeah, you know, keep doing the good
0: work or whatever. And then more recently it's the succession planning and stuff like if you're going to move on and progress, well, who's coming in behind you? Fill that gap. Yeah. How, 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 do you let, how do you let them come through? You mentioned it earlier. You said,
1: you know, letting these guys do their thing. I know, right? But it's, it's difficult. My no. process that I'm really interested. in. Yeah. I, I, interested. I find that whole succession planning thing is... Well, in my in my own personal experiences it's uh it's it's lacking, I think. <laughs> I think everyone's still clawing on to the old days of the rivers of gold when the advertising dollars just would flow in and they could yeah. do whatever the hell they wanted, long lunches and so on, and now they're all scrambling to uh yeah. pay for things, you know? And uh, and and because they're um because they've gone so far down the road it's like shit, I can't give this up just yet. Yeah. Um, you know that's... and then other guys set out that from the start they're like look we're going to get a bunch of people together we're
0: going to do this 20 year project thing and the exit strategy is we're going to sell it and we're going to chop it up and turn it into like houses or whatever like, yeah, yeah, and that was their thing which is fine they're like you know it's fine by me it's, it's a shame when those vineyards actually you know resonate with wine professionals as being something you know really delicious and you want to hold on to it and protect it and preserve it. But, you know, that wasn't really, That's not really your choice and decision. And if, they, if that's the way that they were going to do it, well, that's the, and that's their exit plan and succession plan, well, that, that's fine by me. Right. But it's, but it's when they kind of turn to that decision-making as some sort of saviour to where they've ended up. Um, it's the thing that I'm trying to, I want to try to work out how to, how to avoid that if possible, if possible.
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about land monetization for a couple of months now and, like, how the value of land actually becomes so big that it renders actual primary production on that land, like, uneconomical. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I hate that. I hate it so much. I hate that land gets treated as a store of value for people to park money in and um and and then you know build shitty houses on them. <laughs> I hate that and I won't apologize for it. I can't stand it that 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 it happens. And I'm talking like high quality farmland, not even tertiary stuff like wine. I'm talking like primary and dairying and um, grain and vegetables, food for people to eat for the community like around here in in, in where I'm at the hunter you know we 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 could feed the entire region with like the 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 farms that are in and around Maitland you know no problem at all no problem at all if people um if people put their minds and hearts to it and it wasn't all centralized back to like you got dairy farmers up in Vasey who milk their cows every day the trucks come they drag it all the way back to Sydney process it there and then it gets bottled and then brought back to the hunter after it's been amalgamated with all these other milks from everywhere else. And it's just like, that's the dumbest thing I could, like, I, I don't understand <laughs> how that's even a thing, but whatever. It's just the world we live in. But yeah. I think
0: globalization as a whole is something that everyone's just kind of getting their head around, you know. And they, I think there's very, very smart people that know how to exploit it really well. And oh, there's look, a whole lot of I have no of doubt band, that,
1: you know. How it worked. Yeah, there's this farmer, Jesse in the region, we get our veggies from him. And like, he, uh, he used to, he used to go on trips with his old man. Um, they'd carry like, you know, truckloads of potatoes or pumpkins or some other vegetables down to Sydney. And then the inspectors would walk along and they'd inspect all the, the fruits and vegetables and decide which ones they were going to buy. And he said, the amount of times that, you know, uh, we'd, do all of this work, and then they'd say, Oh, yeah, we've already got too much, or they're not good enough, mm. or whatever. And then there's nothing they could do other than just bring them back home and plow them back into the ground. Yeah. And um, it's such a waste of time and energy, you know? Anyway, I could riff Mark, on that literally all day. Mark, but, the, the,
0: the, the, the approach that with someone else, man, we could, we could talk all day about
1: yeah. markets. <laughs> so, yeah, so. It's a conversation for another time. I mean, I don't know. We need to fix it. I got some Q&A questions yeah. I usually like to wrap up the, uh, the chats with. So um, let's do it. What do you least love about wine?
0: What do I least love
1: about wine?
2: Uh,
0: uh, it's like a black hole if you want it to be, you know. That's the thing I least love about it. Um, the temptation to kind of dive in there and just not worry about anything else <laughs> is is really easy. You can, and you can, uh-huh. you know? yeah. It's it's really easy to just get into it too much, too deep,
1: and uh, you potentially might miss out on other things in life if you do. It, you know? Fair play, Gary. Fair play. What do you most love about wine? That's a black hole that you can dive into
0: <laughs> and isolate yourself out from the world, and uh, you know unpack things and uh, reflect upon things and compare stuff. And because because of this community, right? You know, I can talk about things and you can reference it to this inanimate object. You can give so much meaning. I, I, I guess the other one would be you know if you're an, if you're an artist, if you're a painter or something and the reverence that they talk about these, these artworks or if you're like contemporary designer or a musician you know there's the way these guys talk about the stuff that they do um uh, it's something you know like you know when you have twitter mm-hmm. when twitter first kind of came out and you kind of just looked at it from the outside and there's all these like professionals talking about this thing you have no idea what they're talking about you know yeah yeah <laughs> that's the cool thing about why you can jump
1: in there too. Well, I like that idea of, you know, there's there's probably there's certainly been wines that you've made and they've landed on a table somewhere in the world and they've cracked it open. They've gone, whoa, wow, what is that? You know Yeah. And you and then
0: they dive a little deeper. They dive a little deeper, right? And they they want to know a little bit more. And when that information's available and it links up with them
2: Mm
0: -hmm. stuff that they're interested in. You know, and then then all of a sudden you meet you meet these people. You, you go to a dinner, and they're like, "I had one of your wines." Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. learn a little bit more about it, and uh, you make this connection with them. Special. Yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't through Facebook. No. You know, it wasn't via Insta, even though you know that does happen a lot more these days. But it used to just be they would tasted your wine at a friend's place for dinner. And when they were in the region, they visited the restaurant and they had a great time, you know. And then uh, you see them in Los Angeles at a, at a tasting and they come over to say hi. You
2: know?
1: you know. That's cool. That's super cool. That's very cool. What's one word to describe what you do?
0: Listen. Listen. <laughs> Listen.
1: I like question.
0: Listen. Question.
1: Listen, question. Listen. Would you say two ears, one mouth? Do twice the amount of listening as you do talking, right?
0: Yeah,
1: Think of a favorite album or a piece of music. What is it and what do you most love about it? Uh, there's this uh, punk group in New Zealand called Somerset
0: and um, there's a bunch of tracks in there that... Um, that evoke these sort of emotions about kind of where I come from and what set me on these kind of paths to go do these things that I've done in my life. Because, you know, I just listen to that album a lot. And, uh, and every time I kind of come back to it it, it, it brings this stuff up. And on the very, like, closing closing song of the album, they always played at their live shows as the closing song, too. Um, there's this line that says, you know, like... Um, what if hopes and dreams aren't everything? You know? I want to have something that keeps me going, that keeps me on this road, you know, mm-hmm. where I want to be places set in front of me. And so this is, some, this, is this kind of little like a mantra that I um, say to myself every so often and, uh, or I listen to that, that album again and it re-energizes really me, revitalizes really me about the decisions that I've made in my life and why I do this.
1: Slow Guitars is the name of the album Nice Cars Slow Guitars Nice Nice Highly underrated music scene in, in New Zealand Pacifier well She had Yeah um, man they've
2: been
1: Fat yeah, drop. yeah Somerset Alright cool Batman Superman or Spider-Man Oh man The Joker The Joker Yeah <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the evil dudes. They seem to have a different way of looking at things. Uh, a bit more fun. It might, might not be more fun. I'm sure Batman has a great time kicking around and with all his toys and whatnot. But um, you know, challenging the challenging the perceptions, just questioning, make like I like people that challenge other people not to be an asshole. But just to um to work out how much they grasp onto their ideal. Like, how far are you willing to go with that thing that you hold so
1: dear? Push know? the progression.
0: Yeah, you know, like do you you know do you actually care about what it is that you talk about? Or are you just saying you're just paying lip service to what it is that you do? 100%. And and villains seem to do that the best, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they might not do it, you know, on purpose, but you know, the Joker
1: seems to. So. If we're ever in a position to recreate the T-Rex, should we do it? Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. Uh, and that's a question that I have never pondered. <laughs> 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 um my um my brother uh, he works for he used to work for cyro in australia he's a scientist in cyro he now makes like pollen pollen polymers and resins he's making a resin that like they will use on rembrandts you know to reseal it oh, wow. it's like one of their high-end polymers his partner carla um you here she's in they're in victoria she's got a millions of dollars of grants attached to her. She goes from Monash University to Monash Hospital, you know, mm-hmm. things happen. And she's all about genomes and all that sort of stuff. Right. So um, so I guess there are people out there who, who care about these things and would do the right things by it. You know? So, yeah, you know, if it's valid and it's warranted, uh, I trust that there's people out there who are making the right decisions about these things and why they're doing it. So yeah, man, if they want to bring back the T-Rex go for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, as long as Sam Neill is still kicking around and alive to deal
1: with any of the you know issues, then you know, I'll be fine. By it. Crucial, crucial. Uh, Francis this has been an awesome conversation. Where can, um, where can people find out more about you and um, you know, Follow on insta or, or whatever um yeah so
0: my my middle name is uh, mickey free it's an old family name but uh yeah that's that's my handle at mickey free hut
1: get at me on insta um, Reach out, try and build some yep. community
0: yeah tell me what uh what you're doing
1: um how you're getting involved and how you participate love to love to have a conversation with you about that right on dude thank you so much for your time today and this morning and uh yeah i look forward to doing it again soon cool man
0: be on the road sometime then when uh when we're free to
1: travel yeah right on All right, episode 31. Your thoughts? What did you think? Did you enjoy it? Let me know. Leave a comment if you're using Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, you can tweet me on Twitter or tag me on Instagram at Fermenting Place. Or simply shout out and say hello via email. Give me a guest suggestion. Hello at fermentingplace.com. All right, that's enough from me for now. Take care. Don't forget to eat, drink, and be merry. And I'll speak with you next time on the Fermenting Place podcast.